0: Good morning, Impact. How are you? I love this time of year. Wow, somebody's doing good right around this section here. Thanks, Debbie. Maybe that gets contagious. What do you think? Hopefully that catches on a little bit. Listen, gang, in order to put myself through uh, college, like a lot of you, I had to do odd jobs. Who here had to do odd jobs going through college? All right, let me see all the hands of everyone that went to college. All right, so the rest of you got it free, right? Your scholarship people, are you Or you didn't have to work, mom and dad paid for all of Well, I had to do odd jobs. The oddest by far was, and and keep in mind, I lived at this time in Los Angeles, in Southern California, was I I went door-to-door selling stuff, all right? But listen, at least it's safe. It's just East LA, right? What can happen to you there Uh, about the most dangerous job? I've sold Goodyear auto service plans. It's what everybody wants, somebody coming to your door selling that. I remember how I got talked into it because I, I, I remember one line from the guy who was obviously a better salesman than me for talking me into doing this, putting my life on the line. He just said, these things are awesome. You don't have to worry about this, Rob. They sell themselves. About a year later, I was thinking, then send them out. <laughs> send the little brochures out because I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and I thought, who would do this job today? I mean, today people won't go door to door uh, especially alone. They may go to door-to-door in pairs, and we'll learn about this a little bit, but those are called Mormons, and those are called Jehovah's Witnesses, and they back each other up, but they would never go alone. They probably wouldn't go in L.A. How many of you in middle school either did this to someone else or received a sticker on your back that said, kick me? Be honest. Come on. Wait, I want to see who received the sticker. Hands up if you received it. Hands up if you did it. All right, you guys are mean. You're just, you're just mean. You don't put that... Up. But try, I want you to picture it. This is like that on steroids. If I were to go door to door like I did, it'd be like having a sticker on the back of your shirt or whatever that said, shoot me, rob me, leave me for debt. All right, so you have a good picture of what it was like there. So armed with my really spiffy Goodyear shirt, and I didn't put a pocket protector pen thing. I could have had a place for it. And my little flip notebook with all the free goodies Goodyear was baiting people, I mean, giving, giving away nicely to people, offering them. I'd set out into the safe, family-oriented, pristine, beautiful, somewhat Amish-like streets of, of LA to sell these. Now, in a year and a half, I did this. I saw just about everything that you can think of and things you should never have to think of, things that never should enter your mind. Let me give you a picture of this. And if you've got little children, yeah, I mean, but these are real stories. This really happened. At one house, a lady peeked her head around the door. She opened it only a crack and peeked her head around the door. I'm not kidding. She kind of looked me up and down. She heard about a minute of my spiel, and she goes, yeah, I'll, I'd like to talk to you about this. Come on in. I'll be right back. And so I sit at the kitchen table. So I walked down. I've never been in. I kind of sat at the kitchen table. And you know those old movies, you know, where people will be on a date or something, and people will come back, they, then, you know, the, the lady will say, you wait here while I slip into something a little more comfortable. Remember that line? That should never be used on a kid. All right, this is where the American Cougar Society started, right here. This is where it was founded. So she came back, and I kid you not, in a sheer robe, and by sheer, invisible basically is what I'm, and stood there while I'm sitting at the table going, now tell me all about it. So how many of you know the story of Joseph in the Bible? Remember when he took off and left his coat? That's kind of what I did. I just left all my Goodyear stuff which made it all the more embarrassing because I was just starting out that night. I had to come back. And, Excuse me, naked lady. Can I have my stuff back <laughs> so, I can, so I can keep <laughs> selling? I mean, you're a psycho, so I can't sell here, but I kind of need my stuff. Then there's another guy who I still affectionately remember. I like to think of him as Dirty Harry, and you'll know why in a moment. This guy came to the door in his wife-beater shirt, and that's not unusual. That makes him normal in L.A. He listened to my spiel for all of five seconds, before interrupting with, uh, so people actually buy this crap? I was like, okay, this is a, this is a bad start. I said, well, they, they, this is good stuff. Really, sir, it's, honestly, I, I saw a lot of it. People buy this crap all the time. I said that. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, well, come on in, which probably, seeing the way he was, I could smell the alcohol and stuff, so I'm right there, I'm thinking, bad idea, bad idea, probably shouldn't go in, uh, but I did, and he's invited me, and I walked past a huge two, huge gun racks, you know, those big you know, closet glass things. One was open and a few of the, the shotguns and, you know, the rifle types and the, and the handgun stuff were missing and the cabinet was open a little bit. Another reason to turn back. I'm thinking it looked like it had re- recently been used. So he asked me, sit down. How many of these things do you actually sell? And, and I was a little bit nervous and I'm like, well, I, I do pretty good. I'm actually the top salesman. I'll sell eight or 10 of these packages every time I go out. Hmm. Impressive. Would you ascribe that more to skill or the product? And he leans forward, or dumb luck? And I was like, well, I don't, I mean, sometimes, I, I, I mean, it could be dumb luck. <laughs> Not kidding. He goes, how lucky do you feel? punk. No, he didn't say punk. He did not say punk, but he didn't need to because I was gone. That was it. I was out. I got to go. I don't care if you buy a hundred of these. I'm leaving. Psycho. All right. Now, in addition to that, there were others. There was "Marry my daughter, lady. There were several of these. I'm not kidding. I'm there for all of fun. You go to college? Yeah. So you sell these? Put yourself through college? Have you met my daughter? I don't want to meet your daughter. So they try to set that up. There was life of crime, dude. Several of these. They're like, you know, I'll buy one of these from you. Could you give me a couple under the table? give you an extra 20 and I'll give these. So there's criminals involved. Then there's a lot of these dog greeter family. You just go to this house and somehow the door opens. You don't see anybody, but you do see Cujo charging down the hallway. You just got to take off. And they think that's so hilarious when you're running from that. So I saw it all for the mission of Goodyear Auto Plus and to make some money for college. All right. Saw it all for that. Now I got a question for you guys. If you had to sell something door-to-door, I don't mean you could, because some of you are going, I wouldn't. No, if you had to, what would that product have to be? I mean, what would it have to be that you sell that you would sell? Chocolate. It was a rhetorical question. No. So, <laughs> where's Nicole? It wasn't Nicole? Wow. All right, so... But that's good. I like that because I'd probably buy chocolate too. So think about it. what would have, what would be so good that you okay? What would be so good that you would do this in L.A. Answer: Nothing. I nothing. Mean, I what if I told you as a believer you are called? Maybe not so much to go door to door. I don't think that really works in our culture and stuff anymore. But you are sent out. Every believer is sent out on a mission. If you brought your Bibles, since you brought your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter ten. Now, Luke 10, verse 1, starts out, and I'm only going to give you two words, and you're going, this is going to be a long sermon. No, I will speed it up, but it starts out after this, so we need to know after what? What just happened in chapter 9? Well, Jesus had just been talking to a large group again, and it sort of whittled down when he talked about something that people weren't in favor of. See, in the last days, preachers will come, and they'll tell people what they want to hear. In the last days, people will come and they'll scratch that itching ear and they'll tell you, listen, Jesus will make your life a piece of cake. You'll be healthy, wealthy, prosperous. It's heaven on earth. But that's not exactly true. There's a lot of hardships and a lot of trials and a lot of taking up our cross daily to follow Jesus. So occasionally, often actually, Jesus would whittle the crowd down and he would say, there's a cost to following me. There's a cost to discipleship. So once he got this straight, once he separated the fans from the followers again, he starts in here. And the Lord appointed 72, some of your Bibles say 70, some say 72, others, so there weren't just 12 disciples. Actually, there weren't just 72 either. At different points it ebbed and flowed, but if you include all the women and these 72 and the 12, there are probably hundreds, but there were different levels of followership, different levels of dedication. So he appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two. So, you wonder why two Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door? You wonder why two Mormons come to your door? This is where they got that to travel in twos. Now, this is where it ends where they get things from the Bible. That's it. That's all they got from the Bible they stay accurate to. After that, they wander off. So, two by two, go into every town and place where. He himself was about to go. So, Jesus is sending them on to all these towns and these little cities and stuff, and he's going to hit them all, too. Now, some of you, if you've been to Israel and you look at the, uh, I don't know if you've been, who's been to Israel here? Anybody? Wow, I'm surprised. Five, six, seven people. I've been, my wife, we've been, well, we went together, so we've been. And I found out that, I mean, there's only like five or six, you know, little towns around the whole sea. They've kept it kind of clear, and it's a lot for farming and agriculture now. But back then, there were upwards of 100, 150 little towns. And so when you hear God talk, when you hear Jesus talk about like preaching and teaching in Capernaum, what thought comes to mind? What are you thinking? Are you thinking Monroe? Capernaum's kind of smaller, right? Monroe, 75,000-ish, right around there? This means, raise your hand if you think it's more than that. Double raise your hand if you think it's less. Do you think it's less than 25,000? Raise your hand. Okay, a few less people than that. Who thinks it's smaller than 10,000? You know what size Capernaum was? About 400 people. About 400 people. Where Peter lived and where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. So you're going, how did 10,000 follow him? How did he feed the 15,000, including? Well, there's about 150 of those towns. Some of them are upwards of 1,000 or 2,000, but you don't have 75,000 Monroe. you got all these towns. So when these 72 or 70 are sent out, They're out for a couple of months, and they're going to all these towns that Jesus is going to hit. They're preparing their way. They're saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's upon you now. And they're to go out to this harvest that Jesus talks about them, and he says the harvest is great. The harvest is plentiful. So what's the harvest? Well, quite simply, it's lost people who have come to the point in life where they've heard all the the spiels and the pitches and the door-to-door sales and the and the QVC channel, and all this stuff, and if you only had this much money, or get rich quick, or work from home, and they've heard all that, and they've tried relationships, and I mean, everything the world's got to offer that they say will bring you joy, and it's come up flat year after year after year. And at some point, they come to the point where they go, I'm not buying anymore, I'm just empty, is this all there is? At that point, those people are ripe for the gospel. They're ripe to hear the gospel, it's ready. And Jesus was saying, I've come right now and I've come at a point in time where if you go out there right now, almost everyone you talk to needs this. Well, everybody needs it, but they're ready. Oh, it's plentiful. It's huge. It's great. They're receptive in their hearts. They're open. They're ripe to the gospel message. So I'm going to give you this morning five things. Since this mission is for all of us and there's missions within the mission, this mission to go out and reach the lost. If you're a believer, you're part of that mission. Some of you go, no, I'm not. That's Billy Graham. No, it's you too. He does it maybe bigger, but you have to go out too and tell people what you know. Acts 1.8 says, when you're saved, you will be my witnesses. It doesn't say some of you will be my witnesses, and some of you will go to church and learn about how to be a witness but never have to do it. It doesn't say that. It says you will be my witnesses. So it's a job for all of us to go out and be a part of the harvest. So you want it to be successful. So take down these five things. Here's the first one. There's an intensity to this call. I mean, there's an intensity. This is huge. How much does Jesus believe in this mission? Well, enough to come himself. He started it. You know Jesus was sent? Who sent him? The angels? No. His father sent him on this mission. He willingly came, but he was sent. Did you know Jesus sends too? He sent out the Holy Spirit. He sends out the disciples. He sends out you and I. So Jesus was sent and Jesus sends. He sends us on that same mission. Think of it as the passing of a baton in a relay when he came and he died and he gave his life and rose again, he passed his disciples and said, go build my church. Go out and make disciples. They passed it to other disciples who passed it to others. And over the 2,000 years, it should be just blowing up. But somewhere it stalled a little bit. I think it was blowing up in the Great Awakening, one and two in America. But now we're living in a period of, of stalling out. But I believe the harvest is more ripe than ever before. Again, it's great again. But there's a problem coming up. There's a problem that we're going to see. See, what's different from this rescue mission that we're called on to go and and rescue the lost and reach them and rescue missions today is that the lost on a regular rescue mission, let's say somebody's lost at sea. The first part of a rescue mission today is to find them, right? Lost means you can't find them. So you got to send planes out. You got to find the general latitude and longitude and hope you can find them. Well, the lost today aren't hard to find. There's about 7 billion plus people on this planet. Most of them are lost. You want to find lost people, go out your front door. Walk around. Go to school. Go to work. Go to your neighborhood. They're everywhere. But there is a dilemma. It's kind of like this. How many of you remember that Italian cruise liner? It was called the Costa Concordia. Remember that? It sank about a. I probably just butchered the name. It sank about a year ago because a captain was showboating, and he brought this cruise liner with 4,000 people aboard too close to shore, hit some rocks, and it listed and, and basically began to sink. Now, was it hard to find out where are the lost on this ship? I mean, we have to send planes out. No, they're, they're right there. The ship was only 200 yards off the coast. You know where the lost are on that ship, but there was a problem. You see, the captain and a lot of the high-ranking crew abandoned ship. And they're on trial for it right now, making all kinds of excuses, but they got in the lifeboat and just left while hundreds were still on the ship. So it wasn't a problem of, is there a great need for a rescue here? Yes, that's not the problem. It's plentiful. It's huge. There's a harvest of people to rescue on that ship. The problem is the laborers are few because they left and they abandoned their post. They signed up, but they didn't show up. And that's what a lot of believers do. We sign up for God. Hey, I'll get a get out of hell free card. How much is that? Free. That's right. I never have to do anything or follow you or even acknowledge you? Well, see, if you didn't want to follow him, acknowledge him, or love him, you're not really saved. So you can't just sign up. If nothing changes in your heart, then you're not transformed. You don't know him. Nothing happened. So Jesus goes on to say, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. See, ours is not only a privileged work. It's also a problematic one because the enormous scope of this mission, but the lack of missionaries. So this mission is enormous. It's the biggest one. But we don't have near enough missionaries to go out and do this. We ought to. I mean, it ought to be overkill. I mean, I've read things before that said if every believer, every Christ follower on this earth just shared the gospel with one person their whole life and led them to the Lord, the entire planet would be reached in about 10 years. So what do you suppose is happening? Because it's been 2000 and we can't seem to make much of a dent. Well, I would say that most people aren't witnessing. Most people aren't taking their mission seriously. And it's still an issue today. It's a bigger issue today with what I call the anemic church in the U.S. So what can we possibly do? This is our mission. It's not working. What can we do? We need more laborers. Well, here's some options for you that I've seen. We can gossip about those who don't show up to minister. That doesn't work that good. We can complain about the work itself as we minister, or we could complain about the Lord or the leaders who tell us to minister, and that's what a lot of people do, but that does no good on the mission. Want to know what works better? Well, as we read on, Jesus tells us what we can do if the harvest isn't working out. The mission's the same. The need is great. Here's what you do. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. But I don't get it, Pastor. If all we got to do is pray, well, then he already knows it's a problem. Why doesn't he just send them out? Because he wants you to want to go out. If you don't want to go out, then he doesn't want you going out. It's, it's sort of like tithing. Some people actually think that the church, is, that God's up there begging for their money, going, I want to do so much with this church, but I'm broke up here. You think the recession is bad down here? You ought to see these angels. They're cheap. They won't give me anything. No, it's not like that. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He moves the money around. He doesn't need your funds. He wants your heart. But he wants you to willingly give it. Otherwise, he doesn't want it. And he can't use it. So that's the real dilemma. If we pray with a heart that really cares about the loss, guess what? The God who has all the resources will open up the floodgates and go, I'm glad. I'm glad you're on mission. Because this is a worthy, great mission. I've got a lot for you to do. And I'll provide for you. And that's why we have a prayer ministry here. Some of you are thinking, well, your church, you've got to have a prayer ministry. No, we don't have to. I mean, we can have a car and not put gas in it, I guess. But if we wanted to go somewhere, we will have a prayer ministry. If we wanted to get there good, then we're going to have a big prayer ministry, a dedicated one. That's why we have an Advent calendar we sent out. Because we want you to be praying through Advent. Today is peace, by the way, in Advent. That's why we're going to have another 24-hour prayer vigil before Christmas Eve comes, specifically for the harvest of Christmas Eve, because it's a big one. It's a big one. It's one of the easiest ones of the year, and because God honors prayer. Now, I'm thinking you won't like this, but look up here. Now, the lights are bright up here, and they're kind of in my face, so I can't tell if you're looking. Should I trust you? Are you looking? Am I that hideous to look at? Look at me! If you pray and you care about the harvest and you ask God to provide, I'm just telling you, don't be too ruffled when he says, I've got a great idea. How about you go? When you say, God, please send out laborers, just don't be shocked when the first tap is on your shoulder. I mean, think about this. If you want to reach your neighborhood, if you live like in Stonegate or something, anybody from Stonegate here? Got a couple Stonegaters? Then do you get on your knees and go, God, I love Stonegate. Send the laborers from the neighborhood of Blackstone. I pray that they would abandon Blackstone and come reach the people of Stonegate for you. Not going to happen, right? Kind of a silly prayer. And the people in Blackstone are praying that the people of Stonegate would. So he may just tap you and say, why don't you go out into Stonegate and start it there? I'll be with you. I'll back you up. And I'll open the floodgates. I want you to really want to do this. I want you to see this mission for all it's worth. God honors prayer. So you pray for the harvest of souls at your school. You don't pray for another school to do this. I mean, you don't say, uh, if you go to Marvin Ridge, man, God, I want to reach Marvin Ridge so bad. Lord, I pray that the students of Weddington will get this. Help the students of Weddington to commute to Marvin. and No, it's you. It's you. You're called to reach the people. You're called to reach the people at your job, not somebody else. You're called to reach the people in your neighborhood. You're called to reach your family. And this is an important mission, gang. Listen, when he says the harvest is great, it doesn't just mean it's big. It means this mission is worthy. In other words, watch this. There's there's not anything more important you could possibly do with your life. Nothing. 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 Some of you are going, uh, uh around 6.30 or 8.30 tonight, the Panthers are playing. Gotcha, Pastor. N- no, that's that's not more important than this. Well, my job, I stand to make a huge bonus this year, and I'm going for it. That's great. Work hard, do your best. That's not more important than this. Right now I'm getting married, Pastor Rob. This is a big year. That is important. I'm trying to find the right, those are important, the right house. I want to not more important than this. This is your most important mission for which you are called. Last time I checked, gang, hell is still hot. Somebody, like, how did, how did, how did you check that? I've heard. And forever, is still a long time. Hell is still hot. And forever, is still a long time. So, how does that possibly get less urgent? I don't get that. Do you? Seriously? Well, you know, it's not that big a deal. No, hell is still hot, still a big deal. Well, I mean, we're not talking about forever. No, that's exactly what we're talking about, forever. And forever is a long time. How does that not be urgent? How can that not be urgent? I love Survivor. Anybody watch that? It's a new show. It's in its 27th season. <laughs> just getting, Just getting its feet under it, you know, really getting started. I like it not for the obvious reason of that I look like Jeff Probst, but for other reasons. I like it. It's a joke. I probably don't look ex- exactly like him. So there's something that, that he does almost every show. When he gets to a certain point and people are com- competing, he goes, you're competing for immunity. Oh, immunity is real great. You know, you got to get the immunity necklace and that's great. But he always adds something, Right? As though immunity is not enough. You're going for a million dollars. But he adds this, and it, and it cracks me up because they go more crazy about what I'm about to tell you than they do the immunity thing. He's got a blanket over here, and he's like, and he says the same thing every time. It gets so old. Want to know what you're playing for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hot dogs. Hot dogs and ice cold drinks, which normally wouldn't get me very excited. Does that pump you up? Hot dogs. Or he'll, he'll pick that up and go, ice cream sandwiches, chill. Ice cold. I did get those at Harris Teeter, not really a big deal. But they, they go crazy. Oh, wow, we're ri- And you know why? It's kind of obvious, right? Some of you are looking at me deer in the headlights. This scares me a bit. You can't, they've been out there for a long time eating rice if they can get it. If they don't have fire, then they don't even have cooked rice, right? They don't have anything. So ice cream sandwiches, hot dogs, it seems great. And then he'll follow it up with something. And it really is a telling thing between where human beings are and where Christians should be. He'll always say this, worth playing for. Sound familiar? He says that, worth playing for. Do you guys not watch Survivor? This is good reality TV we're talking here. Some of you are like, Pesh, I don't watch that trash. I watch Real Housewives of <laughs> wherever. I don't watch that garbage. All right, but he'll say, worth playing for. And I'm sitting there going, they're hot dogs. No, no, not worth playing for. Bad for you. Filled with all kinds of, but you know what? If the need is there and you're starving, then all of a sudden, hot dogs are elevated, right? Well, hell is still hot and forever still a long time. Mission worth getting involved in? Yeah, should be. The lost still going to hell? Yeah. Worth rescuing? Hey, impact, worth rescuing? Here's what I really think. I think a lot of churches seriously don't think hell's hot anymore. And I don't think they think about forever. Yet we are commanded to think about this. How can you look at somebody you know is lost or hear them talking and then they make it obvious they're lost and go, wow, hate to be them. Why doesn't it bother you more than that? This is the mission that we are on. It's great and it is worthy. Christmas time is the apex of felt need around the world. Right now, people are going, I need peace. I need security. I need something. And Christmas reminds me they won't really have it. It's the big bait and switch. And so, you know what? When we bring the message to them, they're receptive and the harvest is ripe. And when you say to them, spiritually speaking, is this worth hearing? I mean, I've seen people just break into tears and you have barely gotten going in the gospel message. I have barely started with people. I once went out into a park, spent the afternoon witnessing to people. This was years ago. And I knocked on an apartment. I just did this, I went door to door. And I found this family, and they were, you know what they were doing? They were watching the Dallas Cowboys playoff game at the time. I said, can I come in and talk to you all about Jesus? That's probably dumb. A dumb, not a good start. They let me in. You know why they let me in? Probably to make fun of me, looking back. Probably to go, this is entertaining. This is more entertaining. <laughs> What's this guy doing? Went in there, spent about 45 minutes with him. was four or five guys in there. Every one of them knelt down with me and prayed to receive Christ. The game wasn't important anymore. What happened? Listen, I'm not the greatest at communicating the gospel, but I love it and I have a passion. And they could tell there's something more important than the Dallas Cowboys. And you know what? I don't even remember who won. I don't remember anything about it. I don't think they do either, but they were filled with joy. We have an important mission of huge magnitude. The harvest is great, but the workers are few and the commitment is low. Jesus is saying, if only there were more people reporting for duty. Jesus is saying, I'm offering the mission of a lifetime with the most meaning, the assignment with the most significance, the task with by far the greatest reward, the job with the greatest joy, and we can't even get enough workers to show up to get started. Where are all the followers who signed up? Watch this. He calls us not to sign up for duty, but to show up for duty. Don't just sign up show up. In our culture today, we'll sign up, I noticed, I've observed, for just about everything. Hey, honey, I saw this free offer online, you know, 50 cents off. Have you gone to Harris Teeter and and been in line behind the people with the notebooks and the coupons? You've been behind that person? Okay, be prepared to be there for 30 minutes, all right? No, 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 do that again. That's two cents off on that. You missed it. Really? Really? Is that worth it? Well, sign up for everything, cut out coupons, but we won't seem to show up for anything. Sign up for everything, won't show up for anything. We sign marriage contracts. You got legally, you got to do that, but never show up emotionally in the marriage. I've counseled people for years. I see this all the time. You wonder why you're struggling? You're not even invested. I see a piece of metal on your finger, but that's about it. We sign up membership covenants at churches. I've had them for years, but I've had people who don't do any of the four things. By the way, you covenant with God with that. It's not with me or impact, it's with God. I promise to invite people to church. I promise to to regularly attend, you know. Hey, Pastor Rob, haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, it's been six months. Yeah, but I'm regularly attending. Well, I, I I think that's not really it. So we sign up for everything, but we don't show up. We sign up to tithe, but we don't. We sign up to serve, but we won't. That's kind of the culture we have today. The list goes on and on. So today, the epidemic that Jesus faced has only gotten worse. It's intensified. At least in his day, if they went all the way and got baptized and all, they were in. They didn't get baptized and go, well, that's an even better get-out-of-hell-free card. Now I got one and a backup one. The bapti- No, when you were baptized, your life was on the line then. So you might as well be all in. Today, we'll, we'll put a toe in. That's it. We'll test the waters. and we'll come back and test it in six months. Now some of you are going, this is pushy, Pastor. I was kind of offensive. Well, some of you are sitting there going, this isn't offensive at all. This is, this is firing me up. Well, if it's offensive, Jesus was called a stumbling stone, an offense, a rock that you trip over. If you're offended, he may be telling you, get involved. Start showing up. Take the mission seriously. So that's a problem. Not only in the intensity of the task, but there's also a kind of an inevitability. That's number two that always comes with this mission. So verse 3 says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs amidst wolves. Here's the inevitability. If you're serious about God, you say, I will go. I'll follow you. I'll go out. I'll reach people. I have to be honest with you. There's going to be hurdles. There's going to be wolves. You are called to be lambs. And as you go out as sheep, there will be wolves out there that are not as excited about the mission as you are. Turns out not everyone is thrilled about this rescue mission. You know who's not thrilled about it the most? Yeah, the one who tried to sink this planet way back in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he got Adam and Eve to abandon ship, and you see where that led, right? Well, he's out. He's off. He's not going to be rescued. His fate is doomed. But you know what they say? Misery loves company, right? So Satan doesn't get to spend eternity in heaven. He's doomed, and he wants to take as many down with him as he can. So Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs, not, by the way, I'm sending you forth as Navy SEALs, armed to the teeth, to hunt down the wolves, pick them. He didn't say that. He didn't say that I'm I'm sending you out to form a mass political party to go against everybody. I'm sending you out as boycotters with picket signs, you know, go out and make sure that movie doesn't get shown. No, he says, I'm sending you out as gentle lambs, humble, wise as serpents, but gentle." Gentle as dubs. Do you know why? Because in our culture, you know what Moses was most complimented with? Probably one of the greatest leaders of all time. But his power was in his meekness. Now, meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is strength under control. And when you go out gently and lovingly but powerfully and confidently offering something real, the world looks at you and they're attracted. They go, I know I don't have what that guy has. I don't have what that gal has. I want it. Why are they so joyful? Why are they so happy? That's powerful. So that's how he sends us out, walking in humility, reflecting Christ. So he says, just as you do so, remember this, there will be opposition. There will be opposition. Satan's got just a few goals. You want to know what they are? Here, it's summed up in John 10.10. Let me just give it to you. The thief, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So what's his mission? Stealing, killing, destroying. Kind of negative, isn't it? And that same verse has Jesus' mission. It says, I came, though, to bring life, overflowing, abundant. Kill, steal, destroy, life overflowing. Which one do you want? One wants to bring you down. One wants to rescue you and lift you up. Now, in the Bible, we are often compared with sheep. I mean, tons. And it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Sheep are dumb. Have you ever noticed that? Anybody spent any time with sheep? You don't want to admit it? Sheep are stupid animals, aren't they? I mean, they can see, they're just dumb. And yet we are compared with them more than anything else. And some of you are thinking, we're compared to eagles too. Once one time in the Bible. You will mount up with wings like eagles. Well, Pastor Rob, we're compared to to lions and stuff twice. Twice that I could find. Maybe I missed one. Sheep, like a hundred times. I'm just saying. It's there. Smelly, frightened, indecisive, dumb old sheep. That's what we're compared to. So I don't really want to look at it, but I kind of have to when God says it over and over again. What is it we could learn about the sheep? Learn this. Even sheep aren't dumb enough. If a wolf comes with his fangs sticking out, frothing, dripping, looking at it, the sheep are going to run to the other end of the pen, right? They're smart enough to pick up on that. So Jesus is saying there will be wolves, but you won't recognize them. They won't be dressed as wolves. They won't act like wolves. They'll act like you. So learn the signs. Pick them off. Know it. They've got two goals. They're going to... Well, they've got a lot of methods of how they'll arrive at these goals. They'll try to get you to compromise morally. They'll try to get you to compromise doctrinally. They'll try to get you to to compromise the harmony of the church, to be disobedient, to God. Anything else they can do to accomplish these two goals, which are, one, take over the flock. Or two, if they can't do that, draw people away from the flock. That's it. Disrupt the church because it's the most powerful force potentially on earth. So recognize them. Different types of wolves. One who use emotional appeal. This is what I've seen over the years. Ones who lie. Those who use hospitality, invite you into their home and then slowly undermine things. Those who use friendship. There are power-grabbing wolves. There's all kinds. In my time in ministry, I think the most dangerous and the most common have to be the power-grabbers because these are the ones that are skeptical of anyone in authority, pastors, elders, anyone, and they want what they're unwilling to do. They're hireling. They don't really care about the sheep, but they like the perceived benefits sometimes that they see. So they'll seek to come in and foster doubt and undermine leadership. And they'll usually try, if they can get in, to set up a sheep pen within the pen, a church within the church. That's what they'll try to do that undermines the bigger church. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? You can't get people if you come on. Satan does not appear as he really is, right? The Bible says he appears as an angel of light. Because if he came frothing. All right, can we be honest here just for a moment? How many of you have seen a horror movie? This is honesty time. Don't lie. Lift your hands if you've ever seen it. I'm talking anything. Night of the Living Dead to more. All right. I'm a little nervous because that was like all of you. Is that, what, is that what we're dealing with here? Yeah, I watch horror movies all the time, Pastor Rob. I've seen every one that comes out. Well, you notice that the, the scary ones are the ones that look scary, but the, the ones that are really tense are when somebody that looks normal, all right, turns around, all of a sudden they freak you out because they weren't. So Satan appears like an angel of light. And sometimes we're drawn in and it's too late by the time we figure out that wasn't a sheep, that was a wolf. You gotta get this. This is easy to get. This is so easy, kids can get it. You ever read, the, you know many of the fairy tales and the kids' stories are awful, hideous stories? How many of you know that? I mean, if you trace these things back, Cinderella, that's a terrible story. Little Red Riding Hood, that's a horror story, really. We, shouldn't, we have no business telling that to kids. A lot of them, even nursery rhyme songs, Ring Around the rosy, that's about like the black plague. There's all these things, wonderful little stories. Well, even Little Red Riding Hood got it. When she's going to grandma's house, she doesn't expect stuff, she expects grandma at grandma's house. And when she's in a conversation, she thinks she's talking to grandma, Right? Not the big bad wolf, but there were signs, right? Do I really have to get this simple with you people? <laughs> there, there were signs. Remember the signs? Yes. What big eyes you have. I don't remember grandma having that big a eyes. It's weird. Hey, what big ears you have. And remember the response? The response doesn't seem right. You know, better to see you with. I'm going, wow, that doesn't, better to hear you with. By the time we get to what big teeth you have, it's usually too late, right? By then the damage has been done. But there were signs, and Jesus is saying there will be wolves out there, and there are signs. You don't have a lot of time to deal with them, so recognize them quick and move on. Recognize them quick and move on. Be on the lookout. Then verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. This is the peace week of Advent. Look how many times it's used right here. And if a son of peace is there, then your peace will rest on him. Peace is a pretty powerful weapon, pretty powerful tool against Satan. Why? Because it's the survivor thing again. The need gets so great in our society that wars and fights and strives against one another that if somebody truly offers peace and we believe it, it's, we want it so bad. We want it so bad. It's so powerful. But if not, then it'll return to you. So if they don't offer peace and they're stiff, he's saying in this harvest, go for the low-hanging fruit. But if you go to fruit and it's not coming off the vine, then move on. The peace will return to you and the power will return to you. Keep on mission. Don't stay there. In other words, he's saying, Listen, I want you to go out and reach the lost. Bad idea to fly to England and spend your time with Richard Dawkins. All right, I'm going to start with Richard. I'm going to hang out with him for 20 years. I'm going to break him down. I'm going to break his will. I'm going to kidnap him. I'm going to build a little place in my basement and keep him there and just play stuff 24 7 on 9190 until he becomes a believer. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. He's not open. He's not receptive. His heart is not ripe right now to the gospel. But other people are. Have you noticed other people, you talk to them about the gospel, and you just say, you know, I'd like to buy you a Bible. Are you serious? (laughs) That's the best gift anyone's ever. What? It's just a Bible. It wasn't even a good one. It's just a paperback. Why are they so receptive? Because the Holy Spirit is constantly moving. And some people's hearts are wide open. And apparently, according to this, if you believe Scripture and I do, there's tons of them out there. And you barely have to get started. Some of you were horrified when you hear that I went to somebody's apartment during the playoff games and talked to them about Jesus. But did you miss the fact they all knelt down and received Christ? Did you miss that? How likely is that? All I can tell you is, is it's as likely as being willing to just open the mouth and talk. It's, a, it's extremely unlikely that people would stop a playoff game and listen, except that I really believe the harvest was ripe and I was trying to witness that day in that park up in New York. And seven people received Christ within a couple of hours. I learned something that day. The harvest is great. The workers are few. Seven people in a park? Well, what if a ton of you joined me that day? Would it have been 14 people, 21 people? The harvest is great. The workers are few. So those are the things that we're supposed to do. As we look at verse four, he'll tell us now four things not to do, and this is going to seem unusual, and we've got to clip along pretty fast here. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. This sounds a little bit mean, doesn't it? Somebody says, sup, you ignore them. No, back then conversations, when people engage you, the polite thing to do was to engage them back, go to their home, it could take hours. This wasn't really about that. Here's what you can learn from this. Number three, here's the third thing that you learn on the call. There is an immediacy to the call, to this one. Don't carry your credit card. Don't bring your computer. Don't bring your iPad. Don't bring extra shoes and say, you know, I'm going to be here a little while. On Friday, I might go running. I think I'm going to bring my flip-flops, and then I'm going to go on the beach and take some time. I'm going to bring some scuba gear because I hear there's good. No. This isn't a vacation. This is a short-term mission, a great opportunity. Go out on this one. Christmas is a short-term mission. It'll be here in two and a half weeks, and then it won't be here again for another year. And it's a huge harvest. So right now, don't play around. Be focused. Don't get into dilly-dally. Don't get into meaningless conversations. Go out and reach the lost. Put their names on ornaments, pray for them, and then go get them and bring them here. And God will have a great big harvest. You know, the more I look at mission trips today, a lot of churches in America, I don't like what I'm seeing. How many ever saw the award-winning, Oscar-winning movie, Chevy Chase European Vacation? Hands, please. It's not an Oscar-winning movie. The first one was good. The second one, mm-hmm. But they go to Europe and, and, and don't fit in, and they're trying to just be dumb Americans in Europe and figure out how they how life is among the Europeans. I actually had a family come to me a long time ago in another ministry and a large church and say, they were at the church for about six, seven weeks, I think. Hadn't joined or anything. They said, Pastor Rob, can we go before the church? My wife and I this Sunday. We need to raise $5,000 because we're thinking of going for a month to Europe to see if we like it, to see if we might want to be missionaries there. It's like, That sounds like, I said this, because the movie had been out. I said, that sounds like European vacation. I've seen that movie with Chevy Chase, so I can help you out and save you a lot of trouble. No. No, you cannot go before this church to raise $5,000 to take your family on a European vacation to see if missionary work is going to be too hard. Let me just save you the trouble. It'll be hard. Determine that now before you go. They left the church. They also raised $5,000 and went. went at another church that they used to go to, and they came back and never went into missions. $5,000 wasted. This is not some game, people. This is huge. This is great. This is a worthy cause. So Jesus tells them not to stop and dialogue with people. Just keep moving. I'll provide for you. You don't need to bring stuff. I will bring you to houses and lead people who are like-minded to provide for you. Some of you are like, well, I got to bring some stuff. I don't really feel prepared to do this. I'm not really adequate. Listen, as ambassadors for Christ, when are we going to realize that the most inadequate are the ones Jesus tends to use? Have you picked up on that? You have me as a pastor. You must have picked up on this by now. It's not always the sharpest one in the shed that he uses. You don't have to be some crack elite apologetics delta force unit leader to go out and reach the lost. Just tell your story. Just tell others what Jesus did for you. Acts 1-8 says, you will be my witnesses. Not, you will be my professors. You will teach seminary. You will lead evangelical movements. You will be Billy Graham. No, just tell your story. Just tell your story. Or I'll make it easier than that. Just invite. Invite where they'll at least hear the gospel. So Jesus not only uses, I love this, he uses unqualified people. He's thrilled about it. He gets more glory that way. If you skip down to verse 21, look at this. It says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, now the 70 have come back. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the 70. Now, let let me ask you, does anybody think the 70 are a a really crack group of third graders SWAT team that went out. Anybody think that? Is this the original Mickey Mouse Club that got sent out? Are these eight-year-olds? He calls them little children. They're not little children. So what does that mean? It means that they're the unqualified, the marginalized, those that don't know that much, but those that are fired up and excited. Jesus is joyful about that. He says, I thank you that you chose them. I love working with them. They're so excited. The religious are over there in Jerusalem not doing anything. But these people are fired up. They're ready to go. They're just saying, Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, here am I. Send me. In fact, you got to get this. Look up here. Look up here again, everybody. Back row, everybody. In the Bible, I can think of I was thinking of this in the first service. I, I can think of maybe five people that, that really not, not much negative is said about. Pretty sharp people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's pretty much because not hardly anything is said about them anyway. Daniel, a lot said about him, but it's all good. And Joseph, mentioned him earlier, guy with a coat. All good stuff, said. Other than that, this is the most dysfunctional, unqualified group of people in this book you will ever read about anywhere. Stephen King, and all his novels put together, does not have as many psychos as this book does. And yet God uses them. Some of you are looking at me and going, I don't know if that's respectful. Let me help you. Abraham, let's start from the beginning. He whored out his wife. Let me be real blunt. He did. When he went through a territory where a king was ruling and the king said, I want that woman as my wife. And he took her. Abraham got scared and said, that's okay. She's only my sister. Would you want to be really grossed out? Technically, it was half true. She was his half sister, Sarah but let's not digress. He said, that's fine, it's just my sister. Abraham did this not once, but twice, all right? I've been married 18 years. I'm thinking, no matter how long you're married, no matter how good your wife is and mine is great, no matter how understanding, that one will probably come back and bite you at some point, right? That's bad, that's dysfunctional. If you get in an argument or you come home, you say, honey, where's dinner? I thought you're making dinner, and she's saying, I thought you weren't gonna whore me out to someone else. It's bad. Abraham was not just a good guy. Some of you go, I don't think we should talk like this in church. I'm just getting started. Look at these people. Here's another one. Ever heard of Rahab the prostitute? Where are you going with this, pastor? I won't go far. It just says that Rahab was used in a mighty way. Not Rahab the former prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. She was a prostitute. While God used her. Then she reformed. Talk about a messed up person. She's in the lineage of Christ. Elijah and Jeremiah, they didn't have Prozac back then, but they should have for these two. They struggled with depression. You ever read the Psalms? Raise your hand if you like to read the Psalms. All right, you specifically read the Davidic Psalms. A lot of theologians think David might have been slightly schizophrenic, and I kind of agree. I I look at all the Psalms that go here and then down here, and then up like that, and then down. I'll give you an example. I just looked at it right before I came, just to back it up. Psalm 138. I will give thanks and bountiful praise to you, O God, with my whole heart, for I call to you, you always answer. Three Psalms later. Psalm 141. God, where are you? <laughs> Listen to me. Why don't you ever answer? That's certifiable. That's schizophrenic. That's up and down. That's David. Samson, can I have another moment of honesty? Raise your hand if you've ever watched The Bachelor. Not just women, guys. You ever seen it? A couple guys, a couple brave ones, back row. Well, those guys aren't the best at picking girls, right? In fact, I don't know if any guy on that show has ever picked a girl he actually married. I don't know, because I've don't, I don't, I don't, traced it, but I'm thinking it's probably low if anybody. So they're really bad at picking women. Samson was worse. Samson was one of the worst. He had to have the worst luck with women in the history of the world. We know Samson is being strong. We know Samson is slaying a thousand Philistines. But do you know what he did? He was a Nazirite. He was to never cut his hair. He was to never touch anything dead. Do you know what he used to kill a thousand Philistines? The jawbone of a donkey broke his Nazirite vow. So while he's killing them and swinging this thing, he's disobeying God. No one else, he was going, and he slayed a lion, and he left it for dead. When he came back two weeks later, the, a bees had built a nest, a, a hive in the lion, and there was honey. So he reached in the carcass and got the honey and ate it, which is not sanitary. Don't do that. Again, he's touching a dead thing. But the Spirit of the Lord still came upon him and used him. He had terrible luck with women. Delilah tried to have him murdered over and over and over again. You know what his response was? Yeah, but she's so fine. <laughs> Have you seen Delilah? Have you seen the way her nose crinkles up right before she's having me killed? It's adorable. I can handle her. Dysfunctional completely. And there's even worse on here. I can keep going. Ruth was the great granddaughter of incest, Lot with his daughters. Peter was always bragging, I'll be with you. These punks can't do anything. I'll never turn down. I can't, can't, How many times could Jesus even keep a straight face with Peter? I wonder. He's got all this bravado, and and he's going, I will never desert you. I will fight them all myself. (laughs) Peter, you won't make it to tomorrow morning. Three times you'll deny me. The last time is probably going to be a 12-year-old girl, roughly in there, and you're going to take off and deny me. You're not what you think, but it's okay. I'm not looking for perfect people. You don't have to give me excuses. I'll use you as you are. He built the church with Peter. I could go on and on, but don't miss the point, gang. Making excuses is a bad idea because God uses unqualified people and he gets joy from it. He's just looking for your heart. He's looking for you to see the mission for what it is that hell is still hot and forever still a long time and to love the lost like he does and to just say, okay, I'll go. Here am I, Lord, send me. Number four, there's an inescapability to this call. Some of you are so worried to do anything for God because you're afraid you're going to be called to Zimbabwe. Listen, somebody's going to be called there, but not everyone. Not everyone's called to Zimbabwe, but everyone's called. Again, Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses. And finally, number five, there is an indescribable contentment that comes as a result of answering the call. You know, in verse 17, if we skip back up to that, it says the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in our name. You know what they got? Results. The harvest was great. Many people came to Christ, to faith in Christ. People were healed. They saw an incredible adventure. And they were used greatly because they were just willing to go. All blue collar, all uneducated, all knowing next to nothing, but loving the mission, loving the Lord, willing to go. That's all it is. So here's your two-part application for this week. As the band comes up and gets ready to play and we get ready to give back to God faithfully to help this mission go forward, baskets are going to come around and we're going to give of our tithes and offerings and then we're going to follow it up with something we started last week that we're going to do for the next several weeks right up until Christmas Eve where a great harvest is coming. I want you to pray during this song about who you could bring or what family you could bring or what coworker or what fellow student that you could bring to impact church on that night when the gospel goes out. Write their name or the name of that family on an ornament, grab a little wire and pin that, hook that to the tree. Now, this happens every year. I've done this a couple of times and people inevitably do that and they go, wow, I really suffered for Jesus. Did you do anything this year? the I sure did, I hung an ornament. That, that's not gonna do anything, gang. That's to remind you every week of who you committed to go after. So take it serious. Write that name down and then pray for them. This is your homework, two parts. Number one, pray. Number two, go. That's it. Number one, pray. Number two, go. Let's pray. Father, this mission, God, thank you that you partner with us. Thank you that you will let us partner with you to do this mission. God, you could do it yourself, Lord. But God, you choose to use people and not just people, flawed people, Lord. God, I thank you most of all that you've used me for this church and in past ministries, Lord, with all my flaws and all my shortcomings, God, you still find joy in partnering with me. And Lord, I get it. You're carrying the heavy load. God, it's just a privilege and an honor to be on mission for you. God, I want Impact Church to get it so that we become more than a church. We're 15 weeks old now, Lord. And we want so bad to be a movement in a sea of churches, Lord. We don't just want to play church every week. God, we, we want to be a part of the great harvest. So move mightily among us right now. Bring to our minds those that are ripe, Lord, those that are ready for the gospel. And help us to invite and to witness. And God, I pray for Christmas Eve, Eve, something new that we're doing, on the 23rd and for Christmas Eve. For those two services, I pray, Bring in the lost, Lord. Save them. Add them to your family, Lord, and grow this church into a mighty force for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.